Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. In my time here, I've indicated just how important prayer is. And we've looked at scriptures that to see what it says about prayer. And throughout this year, we'll look at other ways and how we can enhance our, our prayer lives as individuals and as a church. And we looked at Jesus praying in Gethsemane a few weeks ago. We haven't actually touched upon the, the most famous or the most important prayer that we find in the scriptures. And that's why we're going to be starting a, a sermon series this week called Praying the Jesus Way, looking at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go through each line individually and unpack it and see what Jesus is revealing to us as he's teaching us about prayer. I don't know how many times we have said the Lord's Prayer. We might have said it hundreds or thousands of times in our lifetime. But we probably haven't spent anywhere near as much time to stop and to reflect on the words that are contained in it. And it's interesting that we call it the Lord's Prayer. Because Jesus wouldn't really have spoken this prayer. He is just responding to his disciples asking the question. If we read in Luke's gospel, this is where we get the Lord's Prayer. It's on the back of the disciples asking him, how should we pray? The disciples ask, how do we pray? And it's interesting that they don't ask him, what should we pray? They don't say, what are the words that we need to pray? They just want to know how to pray. There's a subtle difference in that of what to pray and how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer because it is the prayer that Jesus has left his disciples and ultimately us. It's, it's a way, it's a, a blueprint for us and how we should pray says this is how you should pray and what we realize when we stop and look at the lord's prayer is we realize that it's more than just this small prayer filled with amazing words it is that but it's so much more jesus has left us with a structure or an order on how we should pray throughout our lives. Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, that means it should be the pattern for our entire lives, not just at the end of the opening prayer on a Sunday morning in Stonelaw. It's a pattern for us each and every day of our prayer lives. And he opens up this teaching on prayer. He's reminding the disciples to start with Father. 
Start with your father. If I was to ask you what makes the New Testament new, you might well say that it's because it deals with Jesus, and you'd be right. But the Old Testament deals with Jesus too. So that's not what makes the New Testament new. It might just not be as explicit in the Old Testament, but it's about Jesus. But what makes the New Testament new is found in these first words of this Lord's Prayer. Our Father. This sums it up in what makes the New Testament new. Jesus is reminding us of this relationship that has been opened up to us because of him and his sacrifice on the cross. You see, in the Old Testament, we might find God referred to as Father. If we were to look at Malachi in chapter 2, where, where God is referred to as Father, but it's much more in a, a fathering kind of way, a, a creator God, the Father of the creation. That we have this almighty and powerful, creative God. But Jesus is reminding them that our all-powerful and creative God also wants a, a relationship with us. A father and child relationship. There's a, there's a closeness that seems to get missed by the, 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 the Old Testament prophets. And the thing is, by way of context, the Jewish people did refer to God as Father. They say it in prayers many times, but there was always a distance that they created between themselves and their Father in heaven. We know from, from history, and including in the Scriptures, reading of the Old Testament, that we read that the believers had various rituals, ceremonies that they would do, that only certain people got to be closer to God. You read of the, the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies where these select people, the priests, were able to go in and get close to God in the Holy of Holies. But Jesus is saying you have a Father in heaven and it's relational. There's a closeness. And while that wasn't a new concept at that time, it's one that had been kind of forgotten about. If we had time, we could list all of the instances in the Old Testament where God is referred to Father, but Jesus was reminding his disciples that we're able to come to God and that God is able to get to us wherever we are. He's saying that here is this invitation to know more of God, not in an intellectual way, where we read books and we make it an academic exercise. We get an opportunity to know more of God in a relational sense, in our hearts, in our lives. In fact, some of the translations use the word Abba, which conjures up an even more of a relational picture. Abba, the word that children use to say Daddy. Abba. So Jesus is reminding us 
this way of speaking to God, this Abba, Father. There's a relationship there. It says, our Father in heaven. And what he's doing here is reminding us that we need to be mindful that we're able to come to God in that close and relational way. We also need to be mindful that our Father is in heaven, that he is in glory. The God who's the same today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow is that all-powerful and creative God. We get to call him Father, Abba, but he's still great. We need to be mindful of that. You see, when we're children, we're told that we should respect our elders. We're taught to respect our parents. Indeed, there's even a command that we will honor our mother and father. So if we are to honor our, our parents here on earth, how much more should we honor our father in heaven? God is great. But we get to get close as a child to a father. And it's more than just that concept of fathering, like that creative fathering. It's an all-powerful father that we have in heaven. And Jesus moves on and he says, hallowed be your name. We're going to look at that part in two parts. Starting with God's name. Why God's name? What does, what's Jesus trying to do by highlighting God's name? Well, the thing is, names are important. We all have one. We're all given one at birth. It might be that you've been given a, a family name. It's been handed down throughout the, the generations and it means something to your family. I was supposed to be called Michael Durkin Watson because my father is Michael Durkin Watson. And my grandfather is called Michael Durkin Watson. You get the picture. However, my mom and dad decided they were going to put a stop to this long line of Michael Durkin Watsons that had been in my family. And as you know, they called me Neil Hood Watson. A completely brand new name. But I'll let you know a secret. I really didn't like my name growing up. I would have been quite happy to have been called Michael Durkin Watson. Because I thought that was a better name. Just wish that they'd continued to carry on the line because you see all of my friends could shorten their names you know Kevin became Kev Christopher became Chris Neil you can't shorten it so all my nicknames ended up being longer than my actual name which seemed ridiculous to me and I didn't like any of the nicknames that I received but then I found out that there's a meaning attached to each name. 
The meaning of Neil? Well, taken from the Gaelic or the Irish, meaning champion. Champion or warrior. <laughs> champion or warrior. I thought, I'll take that. So I liked my name, and I continue to like it. Or how about Elizabeth? <laughs> Elizabeth never fails to tell me or remind me what her name means. Because the name Elizabeth means God's promise. God's promise. She loves telling me that and reminding me that she is God's promise. She certainly lives up to that each and every day in my life. But I wonder if any of you know what your name means. Have you done that research? Well, I'm seeing a few nodding heads. Dorothy, what does your name mean? <laughs> Gift of God. There's a good one. Jean, did I see your head going? Yours is the same. Gift of God. Oh, God. So many gifts from God here this morning. Anne? Full of grace. Any others? Marlene? Tower of strength. Tower of strength. What, what a congregation we have here. Anybody else? David? Beloved of God. You've got to take that one. You've got to take that. Anybody else? I'm sure that, well, I would say go and check it out. If you don't know what your name means, go and check out the meaning. I'm sure you might be really surprised. You see, if we go through the Bible, we see that there are many, many names for God. It's probably a, a sermon series all by itself. And we'd probably do it for an entire year if we were going through them all. Because right from the very beginning of the scriptures, way back in Genesis, we see names for God, and they all begin with El. So we've got Elohim, Eloha, El Shaddai. And these are all names to show God's power and strength as he creates the, the universe and everything that is in it. Names that speak of strength and power. And if we go a little bit further, we see words revolving around Jehovah and Yahweh to name God. And even to this very day, Jewish people refuse to write down the word God because it's so holy. You might have seen it where they, they get rid of the O. They take the O out because God's name is so holy. They don't want to do anything that might upset that holiness and set apartness. God says, I am who I am to Moses at the burning bush. I am. The burning bush that's part of the Church of Scotland's logo. See, Moses is tasked with going and freeing the, the Israelite people, and he asks God, who should I say that you are? God says, I am who I am. A God who makes promises to his people. Because names are important. They mean something. In fact, God's name is so important that Jesus opens up this pattern of prayer 
to remind us that we should keep that name hallowed. Hallowed. But what does to hallow even mean? It's not a word that we tend to use in the English language anymore. And if we were to start butchering it from the, the original Hebrew and Greek, we come up with words and phrases like honoured, set apart, holy, to be revered. My own personal reading of the, the original text, my preferred description is that God's name should be set apart and kept holy. That's what hallowed means, to, to have God's name set apart and kept holy. That while we are able to come to our Father in heaven like a, a child to an Abba, we never forget that God is all-powerful. We don't fall into the trap of minimizing that power and authority that God has. So as we speak to God in prayer, we need to be reflecting on the, the magnitude of God's name. And when we do that, we'll start to understand more and more about him. Our knowledge and our, our love will start to grow as we learn more about God and the character of God. And equally, as we, as we reflect on how holy and set apart God's name is, we realize that it's not that God can become more holy than he already is. I am who I am. Jesus is telling us that we need to be more focused on ensuring that we see God as being holy and that we would act like it. It's not just a case of saying it with our mouths, that we, we set apart God's name with our mouths, but it needs to be reflected in our actions as well. I've lost count of the amount of funeral visits that I've done, where I'm told by the family that the person who has gone to glory, that they were a, a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman. And God-fearing can conjure up a, a whole bunch of things in our, our minds. We might start to think of the negative aspects of fear, where we find ourselves genuinely scared. But that's not the kind of fear that's meant with a phrase like that. It's about having that healthy respect for God, that God has given that, that holy and, and set apart place in our lives, and then that is reflected in our actions. You know, when we look at the, the Proverbs of, of Solomon, when he writes Proverbs on the fear of the Lord, he sees it as the, the, the beginning of wisdom. It's not about being scared, it's about being able to, to begin this path to true wisdom. In Proverbs 9, he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but then he leaves it in Proverbs 23 by saying, do not let your heart envy sinners, but continue to be in the fear of the Lord. Some translations, and, I, and, I, and I've told you before, I love this word where, where Solomon writes, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Zeal, I love that word. Let's be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Let's pursue it 
and have it be a part of our lives, that it would be reflected in our actions. Solomon's telling us that we need to be ensuring that we're always seeking it, that we'll always be in awe of our Heavenly Father. That while there is that close and wonderful relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father, we should never lose sight of His awesomeness. An awesome God that can do so much, do so many amazing things with just a breath. We're called to keep his name holy and set apart and pursue showing that in our lives each and every day. See, Jesus opens up this pattern for prayer in this way so that we'll never lose sight of what it means to come into the presence of our Father in heaven. So in a nutshell, that's how we hallow God's name. We decrease our position, realizing that we can't do everything by ourselves. And we allow God's position in our lives to increase. We might let go of our pride, allow God to work and to rest in our hearts and our minds that God becomes our sole focus as we sit down to pray. That's why at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus opens it up that way. That's where we should start every prayer, by focusing on the, the nature and the character of our amazing Father in heaven. And I'm going to close with one of Solomon's Psalms. Psalm 72, from verse 17, where Solomon writes, May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May all nations be blessed in him, may they pronounce him happy. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May his glory fill the whole earth. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that when we come to you as your children, that despite your power, you look upon us with favor and love, that you invite us to get to know more about you. We thank you for this awesome guide to prayer that reminds us to have your name on our lips, our hearts, and our minds. And Father, we're sorry when we lose sight of your awesome power, when we lose out on the opportunities to spend time in your presence. And Father, this week as we go through it, we pray that you would give us opportunities to spend time resting in your presence helping us to focus on your name and the character that sits behind that name. We're thankful that while you're an awesome, holy, and powerful God, you continue to love us as your children. And Father, we offer this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.